0: Welcome to day two cloud. Hey, listener, I'm not even I'm not even telling you what's up. You're just gonna have to just okay, go with us here. Go with us here. This is Ned and I are gonna have a conversation. You just gotta listen to this and hear what's up. Ned, have yeah. you ever had a panic attack? Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> like a
1: real honest-to-goodness panic attack. As but, close as I can tell, yes. I mean, I I don't know what everybody else's experience is of a panic attack, but I have been to the point where I am almost non-functional uh, because I because of mostly anxiety. I, I don't know if panic and anxiety are exactly the same thing, but for me, it's anxiety is the the mind killer.
0: Okay, so you got to tell, so give give me an example of if you can remember one, and I I don't I also I think there is a medical distinction between anxiety and panic attacks. As I've read about these, and I don't know that I'm smart enough to know the difference between the two of them. Panic attack, anxiety attack. Certainly. I I also have had similar. um, And let's start. You go first. I want to hear about one of your more memorable anxiety slash panic
1: attacks. Uh, I mean, situational anxiety is something that definitely gets me. And that is, it can strike at any time, but it's usually when I'm in an enclosed vehicle of some kind and my mind just starts racing about like, What happens if, if, you know, if the car crashes, what if it breaks down? What if I get stuck in here? What if I can't find uh, a place to get a drink or use the bathroom? Like a phobia kind of a thing. I, my mind finds all these different what if scenarios and just Mm. runs rampant with them. And my, I can feel my pulse going up. I can feel myself Mm. start to sweat. um, My breathing gets weird and my wife will notice Because it becomes very outwardly apparent, which is another fear of mine is I don't want anybody to worry about me. So that compounds the anxiety I'm already having. And really (laughs) the only way through it is, is through it is to breathe uh, and try to stop the cycle, but it's very difficult. So that would be like a situational anxiety, but I've also had anxiety where I've just, I've got too many things going on. They're all happening at the same time. I don't know where to start with any of it. And I end up just like paralyzed with anxiety, sitting on the couch thinking I can't do it. I can't finish all these different things. And it's a moment that I just kind of have to work through. So I think that's a little bit different than a panic attack, but it's definitely Mm -hmm. not a good mind space to be in.
0: Yeah. Maybe we need to call them anxiety attacks. Maybe that's the more correct uh, term. Cause I, I identify with, uh, with both of those, although in different ways, the first thing you described with the situational, uh, anxiety attack. And uh, for me that manifests in, I'm trying to go to sleep. I'm thinking about life. There's 15 things going on. Um, and I'm pondering, you know, like the, you know, the what ifs. So I, I, like you do, I work for myself. Um, and, I've had some challenges with a customer whose payment did not come through. They paid us, but it was going through the banking wire transfer system. And due to some logistical problems with the way one of the intermediate banks filled out a form, we didn't get paid and the payment got rejected. And of course, all of this takes a long time. And and so my brain is spinning on this. It's like, I just want to go to sleep. But no, my brain is going, well... So, so, so the other part of the story is very early in my career, like as like right out of college, one of my first jobs was I ended up working at a bank and deposit services doing wire transfers. So it doesn't help that I actually have a little bit of a clue as to how some of that stuff works. Mm -hmm. And, and my brain's just like, I've got to solve this problem. I'm going to figure this out. We're going to get paid. And I got, I'm all wound up. Like, how do I communicate with this? And the company that's paying us is on the other side of the planet. English is not their first language. I don't know their language at all. And so we're going through, like, they know some English, but it's clear that the communication barrier is there and I'm just getting all spun up and I'm agitated and I can't sleep. And I'm thinking, well, what if, you know, what if I can't solve this thing? What if, and I'm like, why should it even be up to me to solve it? Because I just want to get paid. Shouldn't I just be raising my hand and going, just pay me somehow? That's, <laughs> that's your problem, not my problem, et cetera. And that's just a recent thing. But that's a that's a common challenge that I have with situational stuff, not you know, uh, well, yeah, kind of parallel to yours. Like, like uh, what if all of these, what if scenarios start playing out in my head, things that I have no control over. I don't have any, I can't, I, me being agitated about it doesn't have any bearing on the outcome one way or the other, but I'll still get all spun up worrying about it. And, and again, for me, it's sleep is the big thing.
1: Right. This is something that actually manifests throughout my family. So this is something that my mom has that same sort of level of consistent anxiety and struggling over what she can control and what she can't. And I've been so gracious as to pass this on to my daughter, who also has her own host of anxiety issues. And interestingly, as we've sought treatment to help her with her anxiety, some of the advice that's been given to her is also really useful advice for me as well. So it's <laughs> actually kind of a double benefit there. All right, we're going to have to talk about
0: some benefits and you know possible solutions um, that we can we can come up with for some of this because I'm sure we both work through different things to help us with these things. But I wanted to talk about the uh, the other you know kind of that paralyzing anxiety attack due to having too much to do. You know, I've been in that situation multiple times. So one happened within the last few years. Um, I remember going from my office, I was in my office with a lot of stuff coming at me, whatever was on my to-do list, whatever was hitting my inbox, whatever was hitting Slack, whatever was coming at me with things related to deadlines, a number of tasks tied to a number of different people that needed things from me. It could have been my company needed me as a company owner to do X, whatever those things were. And then I probably had some podcast deadlines or some writing deadlines and I you know, I had a day job too, you know, in addition to this, what at the time was a side job being a, you know, podcasting media empire builder, you know, that kind of thing uh, on the side, which was really two full-time jobs. That was part of the challenge. Um, and I remember getting you know, in my office, just looking at all the stuff coming at me, all the inputs from multiple messaging systems and deadlines and my to-do list and just freezing up like i literally couldn't move my hands I, I remember they were hovering above the keyboard shaking i couldn't determine what keys to hit whether to move my thing i use a trackpad not a mouse whether to move my fingers on the trackpad or what and my brain just racing and my heart was pounding it's like uh what do i do and just my going dude relax just calm <laughs> down you know detense all the muscles sink down into the chair a little bit and then go, okay, pick a task. Just pick a thing. What's the most important thing right now? They can't all be the same important, pick the thing and get it done and just move down the list. And then kind of like a little bit of tension just kind of went away. Um, and, and, and I moved on, but that moment of being frozen with my hands above the keyboard, not being able to move, like it freaked me out. It's like, something's wrong. This is not this should not be, this should not be like this. Humans were not designed to function like this. But you know, worse than that was a similar situation where whatever led to it, I started hyperventilating and I couldn't control it. I ended up moving from my office out to the living room, sitting on the couch, hyperventilating, can't get my breath, heart is racing, calling my wife who was home and saying, I can't, I'm, I'm losing it. And, you know, and, and she walked, walked me through it and I got calmed back down again. And I, you know, I think of those as, I think of those more dramatic where there's like a physical response to it, not just my mind racing, but this physical element to it is more of a panic attack, I guess. Um, but I, 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 we're talking about this now because I'm, I'm hoping we have some way that, you know, we, we've come up with to handle these things because uh, we put all these, this pressure on ourselves and maybe what we've learned about ourselves as we're, <laughs> You know, we're middle-aged guys at this point. We've, we've come to know ourselves over the years and uh, maybe how to avoid those situations. Because I know how I handle them at this point. I mean, you were talking about some benefits and tips that you've learned uh, in working with your daughter to get her some help with her anxieties.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I want to echo some of your sentiment when it comes to the, the work-related anxiety. And how that can be have a debilitating effect on you as a person, and likewise, before I went to go work for myself, I was working what is essentially two jobs. Which was during the day, I had my, you know, consulting job, which was an all-consuming, very fast-paced job with lots of challenges. I was usually juggling three or four projects at a time. And then at night, I would be building courses for Pluralsight because ultimately what I wanted to do was work for myself. And that was one way to do that was to build up this catalog of courses. So I would start my day, you know, at 5 a.m. and I would finish my day at midnight and I would basically work straight through every day. And that reached a point of unsustainability. And there was a point where I just had to stop. And take a break. And I knew it because I had this tightness in my chest. And every day, the tightness would get worse. And what like, I didn't like, realize. Like a
0: physical tightness you felt? Or you'd be metaphorical?
1: Like, like, no, physically, it felt like something was sitting on my chest. Hmm. And it got worse every day. And I came to realize that that was how I internalized stress was this tenseness and weight in my chest which later I've learned is actually like heart palpitations. And that's how it tends to be felt. Um, but <laughs> that was uh, I had to take a step back and slow my roll and and realize I don't have to do everything for all things. And I have to prioritize at both home and at work.
0: The schedule you were just describing, getting up at five and uh, stopping sometime in late evening, something that's well beyond 12 hours, probably, you know, and having that be a, you know, your regular day, there's a regular job and then you've got family and you've got, you know, whatever else you're doing. Plus, in your case, you were building Pluralsight courses for a lot of years when I kept a schedule like that, it was tied to certifications. Mm-hmm. I know you've done a lot of certs too, so you know what that, that mill is like. It's a grind, um, I remember very early in my career, the way I was getting, uh, I was studying for my first Microsoft MCSE and that was six tests at the time. And it was on video cassette, which, uh, yeah, that tells you how far back I was doing those <laughs> yeah. me and another guy that was going through it. would get up. I, I don't know if it was five, but whatever. I remember, I think we met at like six or six 30 before the workday started. We sat in a back room where we had a little TV with a built-in VCR set up and we'd be punching through videotapes, watching them and then going off to work when uh when the work hour started but we'd meet in that back room and diligently watch those video cassettes and uh and do our do that training work and that led to you know work in the evening you got to review review your notes uh do your do your study do your labs whatever and uh, all in preparation for those tests and that was a grind um and For me going through, I did that for years As something like that. I mean, it came in spurts, you know, I wasn't constantly going through certs, but I did a lot of certs over the years, multiple Novell certs, multiple Microsoft certs, a whole bunch of Cisco certs up to and including CCIE. And the time required to do that was typically around work hours i wasn't working for a place where it's like oh we'd be delighted if you would just sit at your desk and study for things you know it was always no that was do that on your own time you know we're we're delighted that you're getting a cert it's going to make you better at your job not so delighted that we're going to give you the time to do it though so No, (laughs) no that'd be that'd be crazy be crazy uh and the way you put it, Ned, you said at some point it has to stop. And certainly I ran into that just the realization of I can't keep going like this. Something's gonna break. I for for many years I never drank alcohol at all. Um, and I remember having a a guy I was working with sitting next to me going, dude, what do you do to relax? You never relax, you don't drink you just study constantly and then you're here doing stuff and you here nights and weekends doing change controls. When do you ever relax? And that stuck with me that, I mean, this goes back probably 10 or 12 years ago that he said those words to me. And, uh, and I was like, huh, what do I do to relax? I didn't have an answer to the question. <laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> I didn't even have a television, uh, through part of this, the, the window here. I didn't even like chill out with uh, cable or anything. It wasn't streaming back in the days. And, uh, so yeah, the idea of something's got to give, I can't keep going like this was, uh, mm-hmm. you, you came to mind.
1: It's, I, it's really interesting how one passing comment from a colleague, a friend, or even a stranger can be the push that you need to reevaluate what you're doing. And it might not happen right away, but it's the sort of comment that sticks with you. And I know you and I are similar in the sense that we hone in on very fine details and then keep those details in our brain long past the point that they're useful. <laughs> yes. Sometimes that's a positive. Like when someone says you never relax and then you always have that as a mantra, like I never relax. I need to relax. And sometimes it's some stupid thing you said to uh, the barista at your local coffee place and that just haunts you forever.
0: I actually have an example of that. There, there was a girl waiting tables and uh and the young lady looked quite pregnant to me. And and I she 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 you know where this is going. I, I said to her going. something along the lines of when is the baby doing? She's like, what are you talking about? And I wanted to die. You know, whether she was yanking my chain or whether she was just, you know, struggling with her weight, I don't know which, but dang. Okay, when did that happen? Twenty something years ago. I remember it vividly because I am, well, am haunted by my faux pas. You know, at saying such a right. thing. Anyway, you know. On the other hand, I can tell you IP addresses from from ten years ago too because I remember stuff like that.
1: Anyway, I can tell you the IP addresses of the four domain controllers in my uh, third job. <laughs> <If you> really, <laughs> I'll give you a hint. They all start one nine two one six eight zero.
0: But there, there are workplaces that like people like us Ned that are going to work themselves into the ground for the company you know case in point you you brought up this story in the, in the back channel here about the company what is it the company oven with the product bun then there there that tweet they made or whatever has kind of made the rounds lately
1: yeah so that was something that came up on twitter and it sort of sparked part of this conversation and, you know, they've deleted the tweet. So I think they've seen the error. Well, no, I won't say they've seen the error of their ways. They've seen the error of airing it publicly. But, you know, they're a startup that just got some seed capital and they're looking to hire some employees. And so they were had a tweet thread of what they're looking for in an employee. And one of the tweets was, if basically, you can't dedicate yourself 100% to this job for the next at least nine months. And it was weird that they picked nine months as the duration of time instead of like a year. But basically, if you can't dedicate yourself to this for the next nine months, then this job might not be for you. And it was uh, immediately called out and lampooned by a lot of people on Twitter. But I think there's an interesting conversation that's buried in the responses. And we all know Twitter is not a good place for a nuanced response. It's a good place for yelling. So maybe it's a chance for us to have more of a nuanced conversation about what what a works play, workplace can reasonably expect, and why what they said might be a bad approach in the long term for both their product and for the people working. To, I mean, to me, from
0: the employee perspective, it's a health issue. I want to be healthy. I want to be able to go to sleep at night without so much on my mind that I, I, it's keeping me awake. Now, the kind of people we are, whatever, if we were to take personality tests, I imagine we'd be you know, kind of similar, detail-oriented, perhaps a bit introverted, um, it, it really uh, things that seem to be typical with people that are good at engineering and, and doing that sort of very detailed, systematic, uh, system-building, architecture kind of work. I want to be healthy. I don't want to be so stressed that I'm just constantly burdened by what did I do that it wasn't good enough? What what does my boss think of me for, you know, this report that I generated or am I going to meet this deadline or um we were <laughs> we were t- chatting with a uh, Gina earlier today, Ned, when we recorded that show with her and she mentioned sleeping under the conference room table. I can't remember if that was in the recording or if that was before <laughs> we actually hit the record button, but quite
1: a visual. Yeah.
0: But, uh, and I was reminded of, I've done that. I haven't actually slept under a conference room table, but I've fallen asleep at my desk because by the time I was prepared for whatever was happening the next day, some big change or something I was probably getting ready for. It, wasn't, it just didn't make sense to go home. I just, I'll just crash here for two, three hours you know, lay my head down on the, just slide the keyboard off to the side, lay my head down on the desk and, uh, you know, then get up, you know, I'm de- I'll, look how dedicated I am. Look how, oh, I take this job so seriously. I'll sacrifice everything, which is stupid. And that's how I look at it now as uh, you know, older, it's just dumb to be that way.
1: Right. And I think what happens, especially at startups is they have this expectation that you're going to put in a ton of extra time because you're building something. Mm-hmm. And so It requires dedication and 60 and 80 hour work weeks to to the detriment of everything else. And because that's sort of the general atmosphere, people sort of accept that level. And I think that also makes its way into tech companies in general and certain positions. But I think it sets really unrealistic and unhealthy expectations for the people who work there Um, as well as, and I kind of, I alluded to this. I think it hurts the product. And, and I have a whole line of reasoning behind that. I don't know if you had another point you wanted to make before I get into that line of reasoning.
0: Go with your line of reasoning. I, the thing I, I do want to follow up on at some point is just um, the unrealistic expectation aspect of it, because I, I have some points there, but you go first.
1: Well, so the reason I think it hurts the product in the long term is if you think about the type of people who are able to dedicate 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week, do just this job to the exclusion of everything else, they're typically going to be a certain type of person in a certain type of lifestyle. And, you know, that's probably going to be the default of a single person in their 20s or early 30s that doesn't have a whole lot of other responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So they are going to help you build a product that has that perspective built into the product, the assumptions you make about how that product should be created, the way that it should function, all that kind of stuff gets baked in by the people who are developing it. So if you don't have a more inclusive environment of people with different perspectives, different values, different experiences, that never gets baked into the product. And so you end up with a product that works real well for a very specific set of users. And why is that bad for the company? It's bad for the company because if you want your product to appeal to a broader market, you need to create a product that is appealing to that broader market. Mm. And you can only do that by having their perspectives uh, shape the way that that product is created. So I think it's bad for the product and for the company, even if it seems like it's great in the short term, because I'm getting 100 hours a week out of this person and I'm only paying them for 40. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I I think of it as an unrealistic expectation in the sense of, um, anytime I've been in a company where there was a extra asked because, well, there's this special project. Oh, well, if we can do this, we can meet this, uh, this big customer deal. We'll be able to close this deal with a customer. If we can just get this done and that'll be, that'd be huge for us if we can do that. And there's always this pitch that it's kind of this one-time deal, you know, hey. Can you give us a little extra because, you know, the, this, this never happens. This is just, this is just so unusual. So, you know, just for the next three months, the next six months, can you, can you give us the, you know, your, some extra and, uh, and it'll, it'll all be worth it in the end. It, that is a, to proven to be an unrealistic expectation to me over and over again, because it's never temporary. It's never three months or six months or whatever it is. It always goes longer than it is initially. And then once it's done, it's kind of like a it set of precedent. It's like, well, you know you did it that one time you can you know keep doing that or why aren't you working as hard as you used to it's like cuz i thought we were going back to normal it's like no 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 well, there's a new normal now and you know the new normal is you just you know you you give extra and you're there late and you you know you eat lunch at your desk and uh you know, and all of that and so you're believing a lie. You, you think I'm doing it for this big project and we're going to get to the end of it and there's going to be a party and, uh, and it'll be awesome. And we'll all clap each other on the back about the great job we did and then go back to normal. No, it's a new normal now. It was the way it is. Cause what we're really, what the company is really saying is we're not willing to hire enough people to carry the workload that the business demands. You Mm -hmm. are the extra headcount but I'm only one person. Ah, you're two people. Cause there's 80 hours in a week that you can work, you know, or hundred hours or however many hours <laughs> it is, you know, so the, thus that's the joke of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the samurai ninja 10 X engineer, Ned, you know, that yeah. showed up in that Twitter thread you mentioned about oven and bun earlier. It's like, oh yeah, I mean, exactly. They want you to be all of that.
1: And the, the problem is you as an individual contributor, especially if you're not in a senior role, you don't always have the wherewithal to push back on that because you need this job. (laughs) You're not Mm -hmm. in a privileged position where you could walk out tomorrow and it would be fine. You'd find a new job in five seconds. And especially in the economy that we're kind of walking into now, that's even more prevalent. So it's really incumbent on the senior people or the managers or the leaders to push back for that person and say, I'm not going to, work that person to the bone because you're too cheap to hire another person, go hire another person. I'm not willing to do that because they are in a position where they can push back and do that.
0: Yeah. Part of that not pushing back isn't merely whether you're in the hierarchical position within the company to have a voice and be heard. I think it also has to do with personality. You know, what, Mm -hmm. what, how likely are you Ned to advocate for yourself to an employer and go, you guys are killing me. You know, I need time. I need to be able to take a vacation without you guys calling me constantly. I need to not be here deep into the evening, you know, every evening just trying to keep up. Um for me, I would get to a breaking point and that and that was actually a problem that I that I had when I was not working for myself but working for others. I would take it and take it and take it and take it and then lose it. I would lose it in the office in, in an inappropriate way. You know, mm-hmm. Some kind of, uh, I guess you'd, if, if we were dealing with a child, you'd call it acting out. You know, I'd uh, you know, I'd, I'd get a cranky in a meeting. I'd say something I shouldn't have said to someone in senior leadership. I'd slam a door, you know, these sorts of things, which were really symptoms of a stressed out, overworked individual who'd been taking it longer than they should have without advocating for themselves. Me, uh, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. You're a, you're a senior engineer at some company. You're making a good living. It's important to your family. You are... Fearful that you're going to lose that job. Now, this came up in another podcast I was listening to. There's a, a podcast called The Art of Network Engineering. Episode 99, they did an episode on mental health. And that fear uh, was brought up by one of the hosts where he made the point I'm scared someone's going to take it away from me. Logically, I know that's not true, but that's how I feel. And so I feel like I've got to just go and go and give and give and do and do more and more and not give myself a break. For for fear, it's all going to be gone you know, in some way or another.
1: That reminds me of something else, which is you might choose to put in additional work, assuming that you're going to be rewarded with career advancement. And as someone who actually enjoyed school, <laughs> I enjoyed the <laughs> progression of learning new things and achieving the next quote unquote level. You know, I liked getting a degree and then getting another degree And at work, I wanted to follow that same progression of you started here and you're leveling up. It's probably why I get addicted to RPGs so easily because I'm (laughs) leveling up, right? Like, oh, I'm level 300 now, maximum power. Um, (laughs) Uh. Because of that, just being part of me, I'm always driven to find what's the next level, what's the next. Thing that I'm reaching for and the way to achieve that is typically through working harder than somebody else who's in the same position as you as a way to distinguish yourself. That's not always the way to do it. Sometimes it's nepotism. Sometimes it's working smarter or just being better at broadcasting your achievements as opposed to putting in an 80 hour week and never saying anything. I know that now. But as I was working my way up as a, as a junior and even a, a senior in, at some of these organizations, I did think that the only way to really move up was to put in the extra time and the extra effort.
0: So here's the irony of what we're talking about. We're talking about mental health being balanced, not overstressing and overcommitting ourselves to too many things, but Sitting on a milk crate at six o'clock in the morning, watching an MCSE training videotape did lead to career advancement for me. Grinding on CCIE labs in the evenings and over the course of a weekend meant eventually I earned my CCIE. Giving up most of a summer um, to work all week and then on the weekends write chapters for a book meant I'm the co-author of a book now. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the the point being, you if you kill yourself and do more than you probably should, if you were perfectly balanced, can mean you do get some kind of uh, advancement, something that can be more meaningful for your career, however you want to define career. For me, it was always earning potential. You know, what is my, who wants my skills? How rare are those skills and how much is someone willing to pay for those skills, it may it always made me feel more secure if I was, as you put it, earlier, uh, just a minute ago, distinguished, uh, distinguishing myself from you know other people in the resume pile. So that that is a, a bit of an irony. It is worth it from some point of view to kill yourself. I don't <laughs> know how you feel about that, Ned. Because you and I can both tell talk about our
1: careers. We've we've had wins, right? Like I said, like my example of doing the plural sight courses at night. Well, now I have. 30 courses in Pluralsight, and that's one of my main sources of income along with some of the other stuff I do, and it's helped me be independent. That's, you know, I work for myself now in a large part because of what I did while I was working for the consulting group on the side to build up that Pluralsight catalog. So was was there a net benefit? Absolutely. Now, whether or not it's worthwhile is really going to depend on the individual person. I was working towards a specific goal. And I knew what that goal was. And to me, that goal was worth doing the work and kind of putting in the extra hours for somebody else that might not be that priority or their dream. So applying that same work ethic just because it's expected of you is not is maybe not worthwhile. So I think in in some regards, doing the extra work, if it's beneficial to you personally makes sense if it's not beneficial to you personally and is only benefiting the company that you're working for then maybe it doesn't but it would be nice to have that choice
0: it it is more complicated of a transaction though because we're we're talking about the benefits in from a from a selfish perspective right you know mm-hmm. i did this i ned got this i ethan did this i i got you know x whatever i got out of it we're both married okay so <laughs> yeah. the time we spend doing more uh, outside of work or putting in a lot of extra hours into the workplace means we're not home spending time with our spouse or with our kids. Um, Or if we are home, we're distracted because we're, you know, uh, for me for years, it was, I'm in the basement working on labs, Mm -hmm. you know? So my kid would come down and say, mom wants me to tell you dinner's ready. So I got to put the lab on pause and, you know, go upstairs and eat dinner and come back down. And that was the most interaction I had with my kids that night. I'm not proud of that. Uh, You know, on the other hand, uh, you know, I have a good relationship with my kids. They get me and they understood, at least at a high level, the principle of there's some sacrifice going on here for a a better long term meeting of goals, better long term future, better whatever. And, uh, you know, they they're both similar personalities. And so now that they're they're older, you know, college age or beyond, they're, they're full grown adults. I can see some of that in them. You know, their their personality has it too, and they kind of, they kind of get it. And their mother's the same way. You know, it's not just dad; it's mom too. So the poor kids didn't have a didn't have a chance, really. But but again, going back to the the point about certs, and uh, you know, for me, was my wife bought in. She got it. She understood. It doesn't mean it wasn't still stressful and something where we had to talk and focus and you know pay attention to our relationship, um, but we figured it out and made it work. You know she was supportive. I know lots of other people in tech who don't make it through that. Um, there, whichever one of them yeah. is deep into the tech, and it's both you know men and women. They they they're going hard. They're working on their careers. And it ends in divorce because they just don't have enough time you know, for the relationship. So all of that to say, it's not an individual decision you're making necessarily if to, to, to go hard and do the sacrificial thing. It can, be, it can cost you more. The trade-offs can be even bigger. The, the stakes can be even higher, uh, you know, all depending on what you're going after and what, what
1: it's going to take out of you. You know, we talk about work-life balance as if it's something that's perfectly balanced all the time. You got work on one side, and you have the same <laughs> amount of life on the other side. You're good. You're like that's not the reality. Obviously, there's trade-offs. It's not so much a balance as it's more of a dance, you know, <laughs> and a dance with a partner. I'm going to extend the metaphor. You know, it's a group dance, sure. I, but the point is, I I absolutely understand what you're saying, and I will say when I first started doing the plural site stuff and really ramping up, I did not talk through with my wife and kids, the amount of work I was going to be doing and it was not well understood. And so they were getting annoyed with me or angry mm. that I was not available because I was doing all this stuff. And it wasn't until we sat down and had a conversation about like what I'm doing, why I'm doing it and what the goal is that it it kind of fell into place a little bit more. And I said, you know, there will be a point where I am working for myself and I won't have to do this on nights and weekends. And, you know, just kind of a funny aside. I started working for myself and immediately freaked out because <laughs> now I'm responsible for bringing in my own income. It's no longer, you know, just clock in, do your hours, you get a paycheck. So I accepted a whole bunch of projects, way more than I needed to. And I ended up working nights and weekends. And my wife is like, I thought you went independent to stop doing this (laughs) and just her saying that you know it's one of those things it turned on the light bulb going oh crap I'm still doing it I need to stop
0: I'm laughing with you not at you uh, because I've done the exact same thing the exact same thing I I work for myself you know full time And I've committed to projects that I did not need to commit to take on extra (laughs) work that I did not need because, oh, crap, I'm working for myself. I'm scared. I got to say yes to everything because you never know. There might not be any work tomorrow. Yep. Yeah.
1: And I did. I closed out the projects that I was currently working on because I had to finish them. But then I didn't accept additional projects for a while and just worked on a baseline amount of stuff that I had. And now it's great. Because Mm. I have the flexibility to go to like my kids celebrations at school, like whatever weird day they're having at school and they need a chaperone. I can come in and do that pretty much any day that I need to. You know, I'm home when they get home from school. And if they need something, they can let me know. So there has been a big payoff, but I think it's you have to be. That's what I'm looking for. You have to be clear about your goals and motivations behind doing additional work and deciding whether or not it's worthwhile. And I think when you're young, having that clarity of vision is really, really hard to have. And maybe it would help to talk to someone who's been around the block a few times, just to kind of talk out your ambitions and what you're trying to do with your career.
0: I think the key word there is motivations because we don't truly understand our motivations and what's driving us internally, especially when we're younger. I think I have a better understanding of myself and my motivations now that I'm 50. Did I (laughs) when I was 25 or 30? Not really. I don't think I did. I just, you know, was always running scared that, you know, I needed to get more certs so I could make more money because, you know, life and that didn't get wasn't more complicated than that. There was more to it than that. That was my logic at the time. There's there's definitely more to it than that. I know I have a personality now that feels like it has to prove itself. And I'm always putting pressure on myself to prove to myself that I can do the thing. And uh, I, was, I was going back with um, Yvonne Sharp on Twitter. People in the podcasting universe might know Yvonne a bit. She's always another tech, has been a tech podcaster in the in the past. Um, maybe, I don't know that it's other people putting pressure on us so much as people that do what we do and are built like we're built Ned, put, we put pressure on ourselves to do things and feel like we have to do whatever it is. Again, a certification seemed to be the common thing here that we work on uh, so much. And then worse than that, you know, for me, I'm also my own worst critic. You know, so if I haven't been as productive as I wanted to do in a week or if a project didn't have as much effort put into it as I felt I should have, then the result wasn't quite what it could have been. I beat myself up about that and uh, you're saying yes to too many things. You're creating mm. this unnecessary stress by by saying yes to things. To work I don't need, projects I don't need, don't even like necessarily. <laughs> but, you know, I can make, you know, a few thousand dollars extra, even a few hundred dollars extra sometimes if it seems like it's a, you know, quick enough thing. But it just, I just get, uh, add stress to my plate with all this overcommitment, And then I'm sitting there with my hands shaking, hovering above the keyboard, or I'm hyperventilating on a couch because it's just too much going on. And so one of the things I've done is similar to yours where, well, I mean, you, you did all of this work earlier in life to set up for a life that you have now. And I, I I guess it was similar for me. I had to, I couldn't do two jobs anymore. I couldn't do packet pushers, the the business with all the different podcasts and things as a full-time job and then work for know to build a data center for somebody you know also at the same time you know because either one of those things is plenty of stress thank you very much yep. i had to call it and say no i gotta pick something here either i gotta quit this podcasting gig or i've got to uh actually um <laughs> or actually get stuck into it full-time which is what i did and that did find more reasonable balance where i Yeah, I'm still prone to, like I was saying, over committing and uh, having the occasional panic attack. But it's 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 better. There's fewer hours a week I'm working, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think my overall stress level has dropped over. Well, I mean, aside from the pandemic, which didn't help anybody's stress level, but I think my overall stress level has has gotten lower over time.
0: So something I know about you is uh, you're, you're a runner. You run. Mm-hmm. Do you run because in part it's like self-flagellation because I don't want to get fat. I got to stay in shape because people like me are healthy people. Or is it like I just got to go out and run because that's how I chill out and relax.
1: It's more the latter. Yeah, it's. I think having a hobby is particularly important, uh, especially for anybody in tech, I think, because you do have a tendency to get swallowed up by by the tech jaws and having a hobby, something that allows you to unwind or just turn off the part of your brain that's tech, 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 and focus on something else for a little bit. Some people that's yoga, some people that's woodworking, you know, for me, it's running getting up in the morning and going out for a run is a way to clear my head, clear out the cobwebs, And it's me time that's dedicated to just me. And I'm very lucky that I have, that I found that as a thing and that it happens to be healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, That's not the primary motivation behind it. It's not how healthy can I be? It's like, this is literally the way that I sort of decompress and shift my focus away from my day-to-day. So I think whatever that thing is for you, it doesn't have to be something necessarily physical. Though I've heard, doing something with your hands is very helpful as well. That's, Mm. you know, baking, or like I said, woodworking was one example that came up a Mm. few times, crafting, uh, beading, knitting, like all of those things where it's sort of a creative endeavor that uses your hands, but it's not engaging your mind in the same way that work does is a huge way to sort of decompress and help yourself.
0: So you're saying don't be uh, doing tech all day and then be a YouTuber at night. You're saying do
1: something else. I would say that's probably not a healthy way to go, about it. <laughs> and it's unsustainable. I guess that if there's one key thing that I want to point out is, you know, just like you can't sprint all the time, but you can sprint sometimes, and sometimes it's necessary. You know, when the big dog's coming for you, you got to make it to the fence, right, or whatever metaphor we want to use. Sprinting sometimes is fine, but and, and and just to bring this up because this is part of the terminology. Agile works in sprints all the time. Hmm. Anybody see a problem with that? Mm-hmm. Like it shouldn't always be a sprint. If you're sprinting constantly,
0: are you actually sprinting?
1: Yeah. No, yeah. no, you're you're just injuring yourself. Right. And of course, now we've gotten back to running metaphors because that works well for me also. But the, the the point is whatever you're doing has to be sustainable over the long term. And you and I are lucky enough that we have found our way into a career and a lifestyle that I think for both of us is sustainable at this point. And I would like for everybody to have that opportunity. Part of that is what you do for yourself. So you are in control of your own life to a certain degree. You can make choices that are healthy and sustainable. But also, I think there's impetus on the community and the work culture as a whole, to try to make strides to encourage that level of sustainability and healthfulness for folks. So there's a bit of responsibility to sprinkle around to everybody.
0: I have worked for companies where the management was serious about making sure people took time off and were not bothered when they took that time off mm-hmm. that if there was some unusual thing that required working on the weekends as people in tech that is that is part of it that is that's not an unrealistic thing that's going to happen from time to time project went great come in monday just in case there's any issues but tuesday and wednesday take off you know kind of thing they'd make yep. they they they'd balance business with keeping the people sane and giving them time off uh, out of the office other companies I've worked for, most of them were maybe a little sensitive about time, but things like self improvement and all that. Yeah, you study for your certs after hours because we don't care. You when you're in your here; it's nose to the grindstone. Do the things we need you to do. You know, you're not going to sit there with a book and uh, you get better at your job. Why would we pay you for that? You know, that <laughs> it's always flabbergasted. It's like why? Do you, why do you not want me to get better at the thing I'm doing for you? Why do you not want that anyway?
1: Because then you might leave. Then. <laughs>
0: Yes. Well, of course, you might leave, you might go on and, and get, get paid more money or expect to get paid more money by staying where you're at. And, uh, you know, we can't have that. Um, so, so there is there is a balance there of um, not only, as you were saying, you know, people needing to stick up for themselves and find that balance, but also... Employers being serious about preserving the sanity of the people that work for them, because in the long run, that is better for the business, especially in tech. You don't want to be grinding through employees and constantly trying to hire new tech talent to keep your systems up and running all the time. That's a business loss for you. The more institutional knowledge you can preserve by retaining people, treating you, that, that's very valuable to, to you. And so you need to figure out how to retain them helping them establish a work-life balance, not asking too much from them, having proper headcount, proper amount of headcount is a thing. I can't tell you how many companies I worked for where HR would go, we agree, there needs to be at least two more people on your team or whatever the number is. Can't get them. There's not, I mean, there's not open recs. Management's not going to sign off on it. We just, just, you just got to make do. Well, could I even get a contractor or a temp? No, it's not there. Management doesn't want to spend the money on it. Hey, you know, business owners have got to make those kind of commitments um, where you're just going to keep grinding through people, losing your institutional knowledge and dealing with poorly architected systems or unstable systems as a result. That's just, that's just the reality of it.
1: And unfortunately, there's a certain culture around working extra time, overworking that that's an expectation and that's fine. And instead we should be looking at the companies that have the practice of grinding these people up. And turning them out, and then taking fresh people in, and doing the same thing to them, as a negative—that's bad. That's a mm-hmm. bad company that's doing bad things to their employees. And instead of saying, "Well, you just got to accept it, and embrace the grind, brother," no, it's uh, <laughs> you're treating people like crap, and <laughs> I'm going to tell people not to go work for you. Because I mean, you—you you and I both know the tech world is not that big. Everybody kind of knows everybody, and once mm-hmm. a company gets a reputation for being terrible to work for. That can, I won't say it's the death knell of that company, but they will find that it's very difficult to find qualified candidates. Hmm.
0: Well, if you're out there listening to Ned and I go on about this, I don't know that we have all the answers in the world. We're not mental health oh. professionals. We're only sharing you know, our journeys over you know, 20 odd years in, uh, in tech and you know, doing a lot of tech stuff and certs and education and so on over the years, trying to better ourselves. But um. Find the balance, if you can, and take that seriously. If you heard Mark Zuckerberg recently, he was quoted as talking to Facebook employees and saying, sorry, meta employees, and saying (laughs) so. the effect of, yeah, if you're not here to kill yourself, there's probably some of you here that shouldn't be here. Yeah. And I won't miss you when you're gone. I don't forget. I forget the exact quote, but it was roughly that. Yeah. We're not going to miss you if you're not trying to kill yourself. You know, you got to figure out those trade-offs. You got to figure out what is right for you. And that's not going to be right for you for very long because it goes back to that, that sustainability Mm -hmm. aspect of it. Um, You know, a final point here for me is you're not alone. Um, Everybody out there has got some kind of mental health challenges. If you're looking at your coworkers, if you're looking at tech people you follow on uh, Twitter and they have it all together and they've just got this thing crushed, they're nailing it. No, 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 none of us are nailing it. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there hyperventilating on a couch from time to time, you know, (laughs) things, things like that happen uh, to everybody. You're not alone. And so maybe it's helpful if more and more of us talk about what's going on and uh, so that it's not a shameful thing to um, be stressed or overly anxious about, about jobs. And uh, maybe more employers will realize what's going on and be more serious about the mental health of their, of their teams and what's going on in their companies.
1: Yeah. We talk about the, how necessary it is to have good visibility and observability into our systems. Same thing goes for people. Mm,
0: Very much. (laughs) Well, Ned, let's wrap it up here. All Um, right. Now, Ned, we, uh, we don't talk about ourselves overly often, um, but uh, why don't you give a quick rundown on, uh, you know, blog
1: sites and uh, courses, whatever you want to share with folks. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you can always find my stuff on netinthecloud.com. I do want to mention that I recently released a series of live projects with Manning. It's all about managing Azure Kubernetes service with Terraform. That was just released. So you can buy all five courses or buy them one at a time, a la carte. That's up to you. But we'll include a link in the show notes if that's of interest to you. Or you can just, you know, Google it.
0: There you go. And I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, there's there's more to my account than just what I'm tweeting. You can also follow a couple of lists that I've got there. One is called IT Podcasts. If you just want to keep up with the IT Podcast space and see what's going on, um, look at that list. Maybe you'll discover some shows you didn't know were out there. And they're not all packet pusher shows. They're just shows from the community that seem to be technical engineering oriented kind of stuff. Uh, I also have my humans in IT, or maybe it's humans in tech list. Uh, Either way, it's uh, people that are tweeting about technology, and they're not tweeting about politics all the time. They're just, they're keeping it nerdy. A lot of interesting conversations that go on on that list, and so uh, so check that out. I am at ECBanks on uh, Twitter, and my site is EthanCBanks.com. Anything else you want to know about me, you can find there. If You'd like to build uh, your community a little more? Packet Pushers offers a free Slack group that is open to everybody. I don't, if you, you work for a vendor, that's fine. Um, all we ask is you keep the marketing. Um, there is no marketing, it's a marketing free zone there at the Packet Pushers Slack group. So <laughs> packetpushers.net slash slash Slack, and you can join up there and join. There's over 2,000 engineers in there from all over the world, so things could be happening. Oh, pretty much any time of day, and you can have nerdy chats, you can have, you can say, hey, I've got this problem with, you know, this cloud thing I'm doing, or this uh, switch I'm trying to configure or whatever, and see, compare notes with other people and see what's going on. Conversations like that going on all the time in there. Packetpushers.net slash Slack. There's also a hashtag jobs channel in there if you're looking for career opportunities or have one to share. Okay, folks, until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.